In a couple of weeks, all over the world, people will be celebrating the greatest news that has ever been reported. As the early believers approached the tomb where Jesus' body was laid, the discovery that they found changed the course of humanity. It changed the course of time and eternity as we find written in the solemn, sacred words of God, He is not here, but He is risen, as He said. This proclamation changed everything. The record of the eternal, inerrant, infallible, immutable, everlasting, eternal word of God has been established. Established in eternity past and in eternity future. It has engraved itself never to be changed or erased. This glorious and forever truth, Jesus is alive. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Up from the grave he arose. Thank God for a Savior who is alive. Today as we come together today in this very special moment, the Bible has established this eternal pivot point for every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. This glorious truth will outlast and outlive all of its critics and it will defeat all of its enemies. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will forevermore remain. The word of God will never return void, but it will accomplish that which God sets it out to accomplish. When the word of God is preached, we realize the spirit of God actively goes to work in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Satan trembles at that moment when a man of God walks to the sacred place of God and makes the proclamation that a Savior has been born, that there is hope for our lives and there's hope beyond the grave. We find established in the hearts and in the corridors of time the very pivot point of our lives that changed the record of all humanity standing there in the course of time on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, we begin to realize that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Bible tells us Jesus himself declared to the world as he was here, and if I be lifted up from this earth, I will draw all men unto myself. The very moment he said these words, it is finished from the cross of Calvary. The active power of the Holy Spirit began to go to work. And the Bible will stand to answer every question of doubt it will stand to right every critic. It will defeat all of his enemies. And here at Eden Westside Baptist Church, we have established for years past, and even in this present moment, that his word will forevermore stand. So when we think about Easter, we must understand that Easter is not just another holiday that's marked on the calendar of humanity. But yet we must realize and understand that as we come together in this season to understand the value of this very special moment, that God in his infinite wisdom and mercy drove down the anchor of our soul there at the moment of the cross where Jesus bled and died. Oh, my friend, we're living in a world today to where churches across America and across the world are saying to themselves and to the church, give us something that we desire to hear. We have ears that need to be tickled. But yet at the same time, masses of humanity are spilling into the eternity of hell without hope and without ever another opportunity. 
I make this declaration today by the power of the Holy Spirit. What America needs today is to revisit the cross of Calvary. We need to be drawn back to the reality of the established eternal word of God that reminds us that without a Savior, we are hopeless and we're undone. For we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible declares to all of us that is gathered here today, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Word of God tells us the fate of all of us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son, and there around that great revelation that we find that is established by the record of the Word of God, we find hope for our lives and hope for our eternity. So as we begin to think about Easter, I begin to pray, God, help me this Easter. Show me what to say. And I begin to ponder and I wrestled and really prayed and worried and wrestled and wor wrestled and worried about what would be the theme of this great Easter season. As I begin to ponder and seek God, God deliberately spoke to my heart. Why don't you proclaim Easter according to the scriptures? For the word of God can never be wrong. It is always right. There is no error in the truth of the scriptures. For we find that God gives us the record of his very heart and soul as we open the eternal word of God. So today we enter into a season to which my prayer is that this sanctuary would be filled. That men and women and boys and girls would assemble themselves together in the Sundays to come as we once again familiarize ourselves with the sacredness of the Word of God, not to come here today to talk about another novel, not to talk about another book that's itched, etched by the hand of humanity, but to focus on the eternal Word of God which shall never pass away. When we come together, ladies and gentlemen, we stand sacredly and proudly to say, this is my Bible. It is the Word of God as we open the Bible today. I had someone tell me the other day that visited our church. They said, oh, Brother Jackie, when we came to the house of God at Eden Westside, you told us to take our Bible and open it up. With a tear running down their eye and off their cheek, they said, Pastor, we've been in a church for three years to which the pastor has never opened the Bible. Can I tell you, my friend, I stand here today proud to say that there's only one message that's proclaimed from the sacred desk. It is the message of our God. And we study his word because we know that Jesus declared to us that the word of God will set us free. We realize that today we don't need a message from mere man. We need a message that has the anointing of God upon it. My prayer is that through this Easter season, that God would take the sacredness and the simplicity, but yet the profound power of his word and change our lives. So today, would you join with me as we study Easter according to the scriptures? Let's take the copy of God's word and open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians. The great apostle Paul there is introducing the believers at the carnal church of Corinth, the established reality of the truth of the word of God that once penetrated their hearts and set them free. 
we begin to realize that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the great apostle Paul takes the pen of God and begins to write down eternal truths that will never, ever change. It will forevermore be settled in heaven. And he makes the declaration to the believers there. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. The Bible says in that next verse, as you look there together, and which you also received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that on, he arose again on the third day. Say it with me, church, according to the Scriptures. We find that great apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you'll go back to verse number one, he introduces to us a profound word. He says, I declare unto you the gospel. I want to make sure that you understand that that's not just a word that we're to quickly pass over. Underline that word in your Bible, the word gospel. The word gospel means good news. We're living in a world today that desperately needs to hear good news. We're living in a world today that's searching for good news. The great apostle Paul reminds us that as he began to talk to his fellow believers there in the carnal church of Corinth, let's go back to the gospel, the good news. The Bible says, Paul says, I preached it to you. The word preached is an interesting word there in the, in the passage of scripture that we're looking at. He says, I preached it to you. I made proclamation to you the gospel, the good news. There are some of you here today that are gathered in this auditorium today. Those of you that are watching online and listening by radio and those of you that are out of the campuses, we begin to realize that there are many, many, many men and women and boys and girls today that are looking for good news. The Bible says the gospel is the good news. Paul says, I preached unto you what you have received and wherein you stand. Paul is reminding the believers that the gospel that changed his life is the gospel that he's going to preach. Paul reminds them that this gospel to which he was introduced to by the person of God, the Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm going to deliver what I also have received. I want to deliver this gospel that took the chains off my life. I want to deliver this gospel that gave me hope in a hopeless situation. I want to deliver a gospel that radically set me on a different course of life. He said, I received it and now I'm going to deliver it to you. He says, you're saved by that gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. And then he says, I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died according, uh, for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried and on the third day he rose again according to the scripture. How many of you believe that? Say amen. amen. So today as we begin to look there together, we find in verse number four before we move on, that the great apostle Paul says in verse number three and verse number four, he says, I delivered to you the message that I received according to the scripture. 400 prophecies, 400 prophecies that was delivered by the men of old, the prophets of old concerning Jesus Christ. 400 prophecies that was declared he was going to come. He was going to show up. There was going to be a Messiah. He was going to come to this earth. 400 prophecies 
that from the moment that the Holy Spirit overshadowed the womb of Mary, the virgin, for Mary, you shall conceive in your womb that which is born of God. We find that that scripture is a fulfillment of prophecy. How that a virgin would bring forth a son. And this virgin that would bring forth a son would deliver his people from their sins. We find that 400 times in the Old Testament, according to the scriptures, that Jesus was introduced as the coming Messiah. Ladies and gentlemen, I declare unto you today, there is no other Messiah but him. There is no other Savior but Christ himself. We realize that he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There is coming a day where every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl shall bow on their knees and they will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. For the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. There is no other Lord than Jesus himself. There is no other Savior but Christ our Lord. There is no other Lamb but Christ. 400 times repetitively in the scripture, we find the men of God, the men of old, saying there's coming a Messiah. He will be born of a virgin. He will be whipped. He will be beaten. He will be delivered to the hands of his enemies. He will die on the cross. He will go to that cross and fulfill the ultimate destination of the sacrifice of God on Golgotha's hill. We begin to realize that sandwiched between the word gospel and the word according to scripture is the very heartbeat of the message of Easter. So today I want to talk to you about the death, the death of Jesus. Now before we dive in today, let me go ahead and make the admission to all of you that there is no way in my mere humanity that I would begin to describe to you the death of Christ. For there have been many theologians much greater than I myself and many other people that are much more educated than me myself that have tried to deliver the message of the excruciating, awful pain of the crucifixion that could not even do it justice by themselves. Who am I that I could stand behind this sacred desk and to tell you and to describe to you the awfulness of that death that Jesus experienced? For great physicians have tried to write down the pain that he went through only to find out that they were inadequate within themselves. Many people have studied the crucifixion and the pain that Jesus went through, the excruciating pain that he experienced, only to find that mere words of humanity could not radically or accurately describe how Jesus suffered for us. We begin to realize that when we talk about the death of Jesus, it's a profound reality, but yet at the same time, it is in that death that we find the hope of our lives. For without Jesus' death, we could not be in, even born again. We couldn't be into heaven. There's no way to set us free. Jesus himself made the declaration that he would give himself as a ransom for many. The Bible tells us that we ourselves are inadequate to save ourselves. So God had to send someone that would justify the wrath of God that was caused upon humanity. We find that we stand judged before God. So we realize then that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ, say it with me church, died for our sins according to 
the scripture. How many of you believe that today? Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. When I began to think and pray through this, my heart was touched as I once again was required to revisit the reality of the death of Jesus. When I began to study this and prepare for this, my eyes wept with tears as I began to think about someone so innocent, someone so undeserving, someone that was perfect would die for a sinner such as I. In my study, I began to weep about that. My prayer today is that God would speak to your heart about this truth. Today, first of all, I want to talk about when we study the death of Jesus, it was a sovereign death. Now, before we rush through that, we realize that the Bible says that Christ died. It was not just as if another person died. We realize that Jesus was God. The one who spoke life into existence. The one who has the power within himself to speak and a world becomes a reality. The one that could speak and there would be a sun that would be hung, a moon that would be hung, stars that would be cast throughout our galaxy, planets that would be spoken and spread out through the galaxy of space. But yet at the same time, we find these sacred words, Christ died. It was a sovereign death, ladies and gentlemen. But before I rush through that, I know that so many times we cast that word out very casually. Sovereignty. It's almost as if we pride ourselves on how intellectual we are when we use the word sovereignty. When we're in conversations with people, so many times we throw the word out. Oh, he's a sovereign God. But yet at the same time, can we really comprehend what sovereignty is? So I begin to look, and I want to give you a definition of the word sovereign because I believe that we could understand it better if we defined it better. Now, it's not going to be on the screen, but I do want to give you a verbal definition. The word sovereign means to possess supreme. It means to be absolute. To be unlimited, unrestricted, boundless, ultimate, total, with unconditional power. In other words, God the Father ordained the plan of redemption through the death of his son, and absolutely nothing could stop that. The devil himself could not resist nor stop the death of Jesus. The cross and the death of Jesus was etched in the heart of God through eternity past and forevermore shall stand in eternity future. And you or no one else can ever change that truth. You cannot rescind it. You cannot veto it. And you cannot abolish it. You cannot call it bad news because it is good news. You can't call it old news because it is current news. And you can't call it fake news because it's true news. Can I get an amen? amen. We looked at it together. We begin to realize that God in his sovereignty established the death of Jesus. 
Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather you were redeemed by the blood of Jesus, not through the vain conversation of your fathers, but it goes on and says you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Can I get an amen? How many of you believe that Jesus was the sovereign God of this universe, and he gave his life sovereignly. Listen to Brother Jackie. Listen to me. When you study your Bible, you begin to realize that even before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God had a plan to redeem us. In other words, can I tell you this and will you listen? Adam and Eve sitting in the garden did not take God by surprise. God had already foreordained a plan for all of us to come back to him. We realize that according to Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, the Bible says in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Do you realize that before there was a planet, before there was people, before there was anything, God already had a plan to save you? God already had a plan to bridge the gap between you and God. God already had established that before the world ever was created. Some people think this way. They think that God created the earth and he put man on the earth. And man was tempted of the devil and, and man sinned. And because of that sin, they were separated from God and, and it took God by surprise. Listen to your preacher. Nothing takes our God by surprise. Before man ever sinned, God had a way to make man back right with God. And you know what? Here's the, pro here's the promise of God to you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how bad you are, no matter how far you went, no matter how dark your sin may be, our God made a way for you. And it was sovereignly etched in eternity. It was set before you were ever born. Before you were ever in your mama's womb, God already knew you. God already knew that you were going to sin. God already knew that who you were and what you were like and what you were going to be. But you know what God did for you? Before you were ever conceived in the womb, God said, I'm going to make a way for you. And he sovereignly did that. And nobody could stop it. The court, Supreme Court of America cannot stop it. The kings of the earth cannot stop it. Our God rules. And he reigns sovereignly. And my friend, he made a way for you before the world ever began. And the Bible goes on and says this in Revelation chapter 13. It says these words, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb of, that was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, when you study your Bible in the book of Revelation, you begin to realize that what John on the Isle of Patmos is talking about is there is coming an Antichrist. And my friend, one day, are you listening? Say amen. One day the church is going to be raptured off the planet. And all hell is going to break loose on this earth. It's called the tribulation period. And the Antichrist, that man of sin, will be revealed. And people will worship him. And they will turn their allegiance to him. 
And the Bible says that if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you'll be rejected from God. And you'll be, you'll be sentenced to the lake of fire. But the Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. My friend, listen. We're not looking for somebody to show up. We already know who came to save us. It's not the one who is going to come. It's the one who's already came. And we must realize that it's sovereignly done. But not only that, watch this, the second thing. It was a sacrificial death. It was a sacrificial death. When you study your Bible, you begin to realize that the death of Jesus was not only established sovereignly, but it was sacrificially done. In the book of Exodus chapter 12, we find that God begins to speak to Moses. And God says to Moses, speak unto all the children of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their father, a, a lamb for every house. Now what God was saying was, and you begin to realize this when you study your Bible, this was the last plague that was to go through the land of Egypt. God was saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh would not let him go. And the Bible says, I'm going to send the death angel and he's going to pass through the land. And prior to the death angel passing through the land, Moses, you give a message to all the people of Israel. You tell them to take a lamb and slay that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and you put that blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's known as the Passover. The lamb signified that the judgment was appeased and that God would not bring death upon that house. It's called the Passover. And from now, throughout all the kingdom ages, the Passover is to be recognized. When we do the Lord's Supper, the Bible says, this do in remembrance of me. To remind ourselves that there was a lamb that was slain to set us free, to get us out of bondage. So we realize that in the book of Exodus, God set a precedence so that a lamb would be sacrificed. And then we pa pass on through into the New Testament. The Bible says in Isaiah, he, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. But he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so opened not his mouth. That lamb is there. That lamb is being prophesied by the, the great prophet Isaiah that he's going to come. He's going to show up and that lamb is going to willingly give himself to those that will slaughter him. The Bible goes in the next verse and says, the next day John saw Jesus. Can you imagine that? John is baptizing there by the river Jordan and Jesus begins to walk by. And John makes this incredible proclamation. Behold, the lamb of God, which will take away the sin of the world. He knew that that lamb was going to be sacrificed. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may have a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ is our what, church? Passover. He's our Passover. And he has been sacrificed for us. Can you think about that for a minute? Here Jesus is described prophetically and now fulfilling that he's a lamb. A lamb, a helpless lamb. 
He came to this earth as a lamb without spot and without blemish, no sin in his life. And you know what you're going to do with that lamb? You're going to sacrifice that lamb. And that lamb is going to be a sacrifice to God. God required that sacrifice. And now we must realize that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's going to be the one that's going to come and give his life for us. Yes, my friend, he was the sacrificial lamb. And he died a sacrificial death. We begin to realize that in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. But we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Say it with me, everybody. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. Can you listen, folks? Jesus never sinned one sin. He was perfect in all of his ways. The Bible says that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So now we're going to take this spotless lamb that doesn't deserve to die, but we're going to slaughter him. We're going to slaughter him. And we're not going to slaughter him for himself. We're going to slaughter him for all of you. We're going to take him to the slaughterhouse. And we're going to shed his blood. And we're going to shed his blood for every sinner in this place. For every sin you've ever committed. For every bad thought you've ever had. For every wrong you've ever done. We've got an innocent lamb that's going to be slain for you. He's going to go to the place of the slaughterhouse. And he's going to die for every man, every woman, every boy and every girl that's ever breathed a breath of God. We're living in a world today to where people have taken that so lightly that they just go, oh, that's old news. Let me tell you something, my friend. That is the only news. Jesus died for you. He died as a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And then we find the next point. He was not only a sovereign death and a sacrificial death, but it was a suffering death. No man ever suffered a death like him. As a matter of fact, when you begin to think about it and read up on it, people that have studied this for many years have said that there is no way that we could document the agony of his death. Many people have pinned this reality that he was so beaten, so torn, so bruised, that you could not even recognize he was a human being. I read in the account of one person who had studied that that said that Jesus looked like a pack of hamburger meat when they got through beating on him. I remember going to the movie theater to see The Passion of the Christ. Eden Westside rented the whole theater. We packed it out. When we went in to see that movie at the theater, I begin to remember this particular scene when they chained him to the beaten post. And I remember while we were in that theater with all the people that were gathered together, you could hear a pin drop while they were beating him, while they were ripping his back and tearing him apart. But yet even Hollywood could not picture the anguish of that beating. I remember people walking out of that theater that day saying to me, Pastor, 
I wanted to stand up in the middle of that scene and say, stop it. Don't hit him again. Don't beat him anymore. I remember people saying to me, I wanted to just scream. Don't do it again. Can you imagine Jesus being beaten so bad for you? So bad that you couldn't even recognize he was a human. Look at Brother Jackie. He did that all for you. He took every beating you should have taken. He took every whipping you should take. He took the pain that we deserve. He took the anguish that belongs to us upon himself as he sacrificially suffered for you and me. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, for Christ has once suffered for our sins. He did it for the just and for the unjust. And he did it for a reason so that he may bring us to God. What does that mean, Brother Jack? It means that he died for good people and bad people. But we all are sinners. We can never get right with God by ourselves. We can never bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful man by ourselves. So what did Jesus do? He suffered for you. And the Bible says he was put to death in the flesh, but he was quickened by the Spirit. Yes, he died in the flesh. Can you imagine that? God became flesh and dwelt among us, and he hurt when they whipped him. It hurt when they took the cat of nine tails and beat his back. It hurt when they persecuted him. The Bible says in the book of Luke, chapter 22 and verse number four, it says he went to a garden and he prayed in that garden so sincerely, so intensely, that as he was praying in that garden, his sweat became as great drops of blood. The intensity of that moment the anguish of that moment is Christ himself knelt in the garden of Gethsemane, which the word Gethsemane means olive press. He was being pressed out before the Father and there at that place of the, uh, the garden of Gethsemane, he began to pray so hard that I believe his flesh burst open. And what he was, we would call sweat, became as drops of blood spilling on the ground. And as he bowed himself in that garden of Gethsemane and set his face, the Bible says, toward Jerusalem, there began the descent from the garden of Gethsemane to the place called Golgotha. There on that cross where he suffered and died. The Bible says in the next verse that it was he gave his back to the smiters. They beat him on his back. They slapped him. They pulled out his beard. The Bible goes on and says, I didn't hide my face from them. They spit on me. Can you imagine that? That here a lamb that has done nothing wrong, 
people spitting in his face, slapping him in the face, beating him on the back, pulling hair out by the gobs, jerking his face, mocking him, saying all those things and surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. You know who deserved to be beaten? You and I did. You know who deserved to be spit upon? You and I did. But Jesus said, no, I don't want you to spit on them. I don't want you to beat them. I'll take their place. And Jesus there, during the time that he was preparing himself for death, he suffered. But then fourthly, it was not only a suffering death, it was a substitutional death. The Bible tells us that he substituted himself for you and I. He took your place and he took my place. And he took what we rightly deserve upon himself. The word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, for he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Now what does that mean, pastor? It means that God allowed Jesus to take what we rightly deserve. We're all sinners. And we deserve the judgment of God. We deserve the wrath of God. But God said, I'm going to let you be their sin. And Jesus said, I will take it for them. And he did that so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Can you imagine Jesus doing that for you? And we all know the scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Don't we serve a loving God? Amen. God took his son, his son, his one and only son. Now I'm just going to be honest with you, I would not do that for you. I would not take my children and, and let them sacrifice themselves for you. I used to say I wouldn't take my children. Now that I had grandchildren, I might consider a kid, but not a grandkid. <laughs> not a grandkid. I, I would not let my children suffer for you. You know why? Because, frankly, you're not worth it. But God sees something different. He sees that you are worth it. He sees, he sees beyond who, you're, who you are in your sin. He loves you. He cares about you. And he'd give his son to die for you. And there's not a greater message on planet earth than that message. That the substitutionary death of Jesus was accomplished for all of us. And then finally, it was a scriptural death. It was a death that was scriptural. When we look in our Bible, we see truth. 
This is not just another book to tell another story. This is God's Word. It isn't the Word from an, a human author. It's not the Word from somebody who wrote a new novel. It's a Word from God. And this Word from God stands forever. It'll be the Word that we'll be saved by. It'll be the Word we'll be judged by. And I want you to know that the great Apostle Paul says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received. Paul was saying, I received this word. And Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. Everything that Jesus did was in line with this word. Every, every pain that he took for you and for you, for those of you in the balcony, for those of you that are scattered all over this floor, for those of you that are watching by internet, those of you that are listening by radio, those of you that are at the river campus, how can I convince you? What do I need to do? convince you that God loves you? What do I need to do to convince you that you're a sinner? And you're just not good enough the way you are. What can I do as a pastor to convince you that life without Jesus isn't worth living? God loves you so much that he did something for you you can't do for yourself. He sent his son to be your sin. And the wrath of God fell on him. You deserved that. But Jesus pushed you out of the way and said, no, I'm not going to let the wrath of my Father fall on you. I will let it fall on me. And he took the judgment of God upon himself for you. And all you have to do, watch, all you have to do is say yes to him. The bottom line is profound to me. Christ died for my sins. Christ died for my sins. And the price has been paid for my salvation. Isn't that a profound thought? Let's say it together, everybody. Christ died for my sins. And the price has been paid for my salvation. Christ died for my sins. And Christ died for your sins. And the price of your salvation has already been paid. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, somebody finish it. Christ died for us. I try to tell people this, and I hope you'll listen. 
I hope you'll give me just a moment. While you were committing your worst sin, you know that sin that you're not proud of? That sin that you don't want anybody to know about? That sin that we don't talk about because it's so awful? While you were committing that sin, Jesus died for you. The worst sin that you've ever committed, Jesus says this to you. You're guilty, but I'll take your place. While you commit sin, it never changes the fact Jesus died for you. And, and, the, and the Christian life is an exchange life. Now watch this. This is what you do. When you open your heart, when you open your heart and you let Christ in, you're exchanging your life for his life. And you're saying, Lord, I'll give you my life, and in exchange for my life, I'll get your life. Is there anybody in here tired of living your life? Is there anybody in here that would say, Pastor, I want a new life. I want to start over again. I want to get right with God. I, I believe he did die for me. And, and for the first time in my life, Pastor, I realize that he did something for me that I cannot do for myself. And yet, when I was a little kid, I walked down the aisle of a church, but I didn't know what it was all about. I went down the front and I said a prayer, but I really didn't understand it. But today, Pastor, I realize that Jesus died for me. And if I'd have been the only person on planet earth, he would have done that for me because he loves me that much and he wants to give me a new life. And I'm telling you, just like in the first service, you can receive that new life today. All you have to do is open your heart and say to Christ, come in. And he'll change your life. With our heads bowed for just a moment and our eyes closed, our ministers are going to come. And if you're here today and you, you would say, Pastor, I need that new life. And you want to you you take that opportunity right now to come to Jesus. Don't let nobody stop you. Don't let nobody hinder that. Why don't you stand up right now and just come on and pray with one of these guys and They'll help you. Maybe you want to come and join the church day or you want to come to an altar and pray. Just stand up. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be ashamed of that. If Jesus went to the cross and died for you, surely you can stand up for him. Is there anybody in this building today that would say, Pastor, I want a new life. Would you stand up on your feet right now? Just stand where you are. I just want a new life, Brother Jackie. I want a new life. Just stand. God bless you, man. Anybody else? Just stand. Pastor, I want, my, I want God to change me. Anybody? Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else?